3: Yeah, hello and welcome to Mojo Sports, the NFL show episode 15 My name is Dan Frost and as always I'm supported by the best panel in the business And tonight we've got a full, well we've got a full crew We've got Stacey, we've got Alex and we've got Beck Guys, let's get straight into it The question I have for you off the top is You know, with the NFL that's looking to expand And obviously they go around the world playing games Typically in in London If you could choose, where would you host uh, an NFL game internationally? Uh, Beck, going to start with you
1: Um, Yeah, like it's pretty cool to see the fans around the world, not just in America, interact with the game and go and watch them play. How lucky are anyone who lives in England feeling that they get those two games every season? I'm super jealous. Um, I think somewhere in Europe, Germany or France would be a pretty cool place um, to see it go. I just think those type of European kind of countries are super big on sports and have a massive fan base, Regardless of what sports are, so you get a decent crowd and some pretty cool interactions.
3: Yeah, look for me, I'd be sort of um, you know tackling one of the Asian countries. So I think Japan. I I think you know they they just I think they would uh, as a culture I think they'd get it. You know they're quite fanatical about their about different sports, and um, I think they'd be quite interested to see you know just what uh, you know what 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 football's like at this level uh, in the NFL. Um, Stacey, what about yourself?
2: I have to go Australia. And I preface this with, in 1999, the Broncos and the Chargers were out here, 73,000 people attended at ANZ Stadium. So we've done it before. And I think with, you know, getting the Olympics and all that sort of stuff, I think that it's only natural that they come to Australia, to Sydney, so we can all just bask in the gloriousness that it is an NFL game.
3: Alex, what about yourself?
0: um as someone who's had the pleasure of actually going to a national game in london i actually saw uh the colts versus jaguars in 2016 um when they're in london so that was pretty cool my family have seen the bears when they're in london i think it was like 2017 2018 so my family's been lucky enough to go see those international games and they're super super fun for me i think when you look at these games and actually got to look kind of international markets and as someone who's kind of grown up in that world hong kong i think would be a top seller for that just it's because you've got such a large international community from UK, from Europe, from the US, from Australia. So you'd get kind of the clientele that are, that are super kind of into football. So I think that would be a great one. But first international game, Jets v. Falcons should be interesting.
3: All right, guys. Well, let's jump into our first segment tonight, and that is the huddle.
0: Leave no regrets out there.
2: That is what a real champion is made of. And for the Philadelphia Eagles, the long drought is over. How about that? Cheese. A touchdown and a title for the Patriots! I can't believe it! They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl
3: history! Those will be the best memories. Yeah, and for our new listeners, the huddle is where each week we pick a team to focus in on. And, Becca, you're going to like it tonight because tonight we are focusing in on your Seattle Seahawks. Got to start with you. You know, this is a very proud franchise, very popular franchise. But, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, the this, this season's been a little bit up and down. But, yeah, talk us through the Seattle Seahawks.
1: Yeah, I could talk about the Seattle Seahawks all day, every day. Um, I'm a massive fan. I've been following them for just over 10 years now. So I definitely have seen the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs of the team at the moment I think we're in a bit of a down which is super sad and depressing but we also have some awesome things to you know be proud of as well like our quarterback Russell Wilson he's a franchise quarterback he's been leading the team for years on end he's that quarterback that you want on your team when you are feeling that little bit down and out and you definitely haven't really got your rhythm in the season yet because he's going to lift you up and he's going to do what he does best and make plays out of nothing in games where it counts the most.
0: Yeah, this team is definitely up and down within the first three weeks. I mean, coming into the season, they were ranked fifth in yards per carry, so 3.9. So that's pretty good as far as defense goes. Yards per game, they averaged 95.6, so still fifth. So pretty solid kind of front seven for defense. Their defense going into week four is currently ranked 32nd.
1: Yeah, we have a shocker.
3: Yeah,
2: 440.3 yards per game. Yeah. allowing i guess oh it,
3: and it's so difficult because you know for seattle you know for so long you know they they obviously built their reputation in around the, the defense um you know beck start there you know let, let let's let's take it back let's ref, reflect on yesteryear and, and talk to us a little bit about the legion of boom and you know it was um it was a different way of playing football but one that was quite successful for seattle
1: Yeah. I mean, I am playing homage to our Legion of Boom in our 25 Richard Sherman jersey, because I feel like we are missing that boom on our defense. Like there's not much exciting going on there anymore. Like we'll talk about, you know, back in the day when we had Cam Chancellor, um, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, we had that D-line that was just dominating offenses. Um, And we just I don't see it this year. We lost our, I mean, I guess we didn't want to pay our number one corner. Um, Griffin and he went over to the Jags and is, you know, having a really good season over there so far. So I think our secondary is probably our weakest point at the moment. We're really struggling to find that number one one corner, that lock-in corner that's really going to shut receivers out. But, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we talk about that secondary for Seattle, as you said, like, I think Seattle's, hitting the issue that most teams are probably going to that teams have either gone through or are going to go through where you've got these key players but you don't have the cap space to keep them and I think that's what's kind of then you've got to go into that like that weird rebuilding phase where you've got to get players that you can afford that aren't necessarily the same kind of caliber but I mean they've got Jamal Adams and he's kind of the face of the secondary for Seattle but he's been quiet as far as the first three weeks go for that Seattle secondary and I just feel like that's not on par for Seattle's defense or for Jamal Adams.
2: I completely agree and I think I think it was last week we must have spoken about we must have spoken about Jamal Adams coming down and playing that third linebacker type role, but interesting stat is that on 92% of all defensive plays the Seahawks are playing the coverage that they show pre-snap. So they're lining up in coverages and they're not changing they're not shifting they're just they're playing what they're seeing which makes them so predictable and i guess like you can get away with that when you've got players like the legion of boom who are next level athletes to make up for the lack of i guess i don't want to say creativity because maybe they have to structure their defensive scheme a little bit to suit the players that they've got but you know you can't be that predictable in the nfl
1: I think it comes down to the fact that we do have such a young secondary and they are quite inexperienced. So I don't know if they're at a point yet where they can start mixing up plays and moving plays around and stuff like that. And, I mean, as a Seattle defense, we do love to play a cover, you know, a coverage kind of defense. So we like our corners to drop back and our safeties to come up, but it's just not working for us this year. Which is surprising
0: because they added cornerback Witherspoon to their offseason, to the season team this year. And they also air, added Kerry Hyder in that defensive end. He has eight and a half sacks last year, 10 tackles for loss, and 49 tackles in total. Like he should be making an impact off that defensive line, but he's just not. So, and for their kind of defense to slide where it has from the start of the season to now, I wonder if these additions, have made the impact that they were supposed to make because it doesn't look yeah. like they have.
1: Are they not fitting the scheme? Are they just not playing as well as they usually do? Is the coaching not there? Like it's definitely a big question mark. I think around the entire league, what is happening to our defense?
3: Alex, your, but, sorry. Your, your point, Alex, earlier was a good one uh, around, around money. Uh, Beck, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about it because You know, one of the things that does get overlooked is that we are in a salary cap league. Now, we're seeing a lot of teams really benefit off these rookie QB contracts, right? Basically, you're able to stack your entire roster. You know, when when the time comes when you've got to pay your contract, and side note, Russell Wilson's weird announcement about his contract in bed is going to go down in history as one of the most bizarre things. So for people who haven't seen that, definitely get Googling and, and check that out. But, Beck... Yeah, I guess that the salary cap is really biting this football team because with that huge Russell Wilson QB contract, it makes it really difficult to go out there and repair this defense.
1: Yeah, and I think we've seen this happen over the past few years. Like it's not just a new thing this year because we've seen the whole contract issue with Earl Thomas. We lost him um, and then, you know, with Griffin going um, and then we lost KJ Wright as well, which I think we are really missing him that we didn't, you know, we just couldn't afford to pay him and keep him around. So our defense is definitely suffering on the side of not paying players but who are we playing besides Russell Wilson like I don't like why are we paying him so much when I mean don't get me wrong I love that we're paying him and we're keeping him around but we also need to spread the salary cap so that we can compete and be the great defense that we are known for
0: well that's going to be the problem when we come down to money if you're playing paying Russell Wilson these big bucks eventually these other players are going to leave, right? Because they want the big bucks too. And rightly so, like I I would be worried about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, right? You've got a receiving pair in those two who are, who had over a thousand yards last year, 10 touchdowns each, right? So that is a solid receiving core there for them. But if you're paying the big bucks to the quarterback and then these guys come up, it's kind of a slap in the face going, Hey, Hey, Yeah, you did really, really well. But oh, by the way, we can't afford to keep you. Sorry. Like some other program is going to snap a player like DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett up. So if, if I was Russell Wilson, I'd be kind of looking at my paycheck going, okay, this is great and all, but am I going to have the personnel around me to catch the ball, run the ball, block for me, and then do their job on defense?
2: And, and that's the same conversation that we had and the same argument that was happening with Rogers. You know, he just, he wants to be surrounded by the best kind of talent. And it's not that he necessarily wants all the money. He just wants to be supported, you know, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, there's going to be a time where someone will come knocking on the door for DK Metcalf and is it enough for him to stay?
1: Yeah. And I can't blame them because like you look at football, it's a business. Like as much as we love it as a sport and a hobby and enjoy watching it and stuff for the players and the clubs, it's a business. So they have to do what's best for business. And if for that player to go somewhere else is best for them, I can't blame them. Um, But what I wanted to mention, which I forget now, so you go Barker.
0: I mean, we should kind of, you know, jump back to off season where there was rumors that Russell Wilson was going to Chicago right so there's always kind of been that background with him you know is he going to go somewhere else and then kind of Chicago came in the mix I wasn't you know too upset about that one but yeah I mean Seattle Seattle's got to be mindful of their players and who they have around them because they got they want to keep a good core together and I don't see them being able to do that
1: yeah let's not forget as well that we only had three draft picks this year out of seven rounds, we got three players. So that's definitely somewhere else where we need to be better at too. Instead of trading our draft picks away for all these players who aren't doing great things for us, maybe we need to get our picks back and start building from the bottom again.
2: Yeah, I think you might be a little bit right there, but I think that there is a positive when it comes to the Seahawks and I think that it is the ability of Russell Wilson just to be awesome plus you know Chris Carson you know he's he's not bad he's not bad at all I mean he's no Marshawn Lynch and you know if we're referencing Seattle Seahawks like that's the reference that you go to right but you know um, Richard Penny also not bad like they're two solid running backs that are definitely capable of of knocking up some solid yardage especially behind an O-line that's you know like you know one of Alex's favorites you know Kyle Fuller you know so I think it's they're good things it's just the defense is just not right for you guys right now
1: yeah surprisingly our O-line is probably the best it's been in a few years like I think this season so far I've seen them give Russell Wilson the most protection that he's had and the most time in the pocket without having to scramble and make up plays so that is a bonus so we are doing something right we have rebuilt our O-line and we are heading in the direction on that side of the ball but we've just dropped the ball on the other side
3: yeah, and I think, you know, obviously the let Russ cook was that, that, that was the whole thing. You know, let's move away from our traditional, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a legion of boom and, and let's give him this offensive powerhouse. And, uh, you know, Russ, he's happy to cook, but he just, he just needs a little bit of support there. So, going to be interesting to watch. All right, guys, let's jump in with our predictions now. Um, Stacey, going to start with you. Again, this team is very much up and down. The Russell Wilson factor makes this very, very difficult. But, yeah, what's your thoughts on the Hawks?
2: I think I'm going to stick. I'm going to go with a ten and seven record. Um, they're definitely capable of winning some games, definitely. And I think if if what Beck said about the you know the secondary being quite young and there's still some room to improve on defense, like I think if Pete Carroll is an amazing football mind and he's going to be able to scheme up something defensively that's going to help. I just think it's going to take a little while to get there.
3: Yeah, look for me. I, I think we're using the. Um, I think we're on the same page. For me, I've got ten and seven, only because I just don't have the bravery to. Uh, yeah, I, I guess predict a Seattle Seahawks team to be under under double digit wins. I think uh, you know that would just be that would be quite difficult. However, I will say this with a team that's so offensive minded and so so much focus is on that side of the ball it just makes them very, very vulnerable to injuries. So for every offensive injury they have, and then this will happen in the NFL, you've got to take a win away. So that's where it makes it really, really difficult when you're so unbalanced. So for me, 10 and seven, uh, but that's uh, that's keeping everyone healthy on that side of the ball. Um, Alex, what about yourself?
0: For me, I think having a team that is just so up and down like they are right now, like it's fine to kind of be up and down one week, but they've kind of been... Up oh, and now they're kind of just hanging down, right? So they're just, they're not, You, I would like to see them pick up week four. I, I don't know if that's going to happen for them. I think their defense needs a lot of improvement. I'd like to see if any trades kind of happen along that front throughout the season, but who do you trade to get good defensive players is my next question. But for me, still a winning record, not in the double digits. I see them going nine and eight.
3: Yeah, and, and Beck, uh, I'm sure you want your team to win out, but uh, what's your what's your predicted record?
1: I do. I do. But I also think that this is probably going to be the toughest season that we face, not only as a team, but within our division as well, right? Like four teams in our division are all ranked in the top 10. I think we have the hardest division coming up like in the league at the moment. So, and that's six out of our 17 games that we have to really compete and work hard for. And then we also have in our schedule, the Packers, the Steelers, the Saints, like they're not going to be easy games. Um, so, I think it's going to be a really tough season. But I am going to back the Hawks and hope that they can, you know, move some things around or just learn from the past two weeks and get back to where they are and what they know and play the football that they usually play and go 11 and 6.
3: All right, guys, let's jump into our next segment now the match.
1: The most anticipated match in history, ladies and gentlemen. Let's
3: get. Yeah, and each week on the match, we well, we place two players up against each other, two coaches, and they go toe-to-toe. And this week, well, we've selected two heavyweight coaches. Alex, I'm going to throw this one to you. We've got Pete Carroll from the Seattle Seahawks coming up against the great Bill Belichick from the New England Patriots. We've gone with some of the, the heavy hitters in the game. Let's start with, uh, with Beck's favourite, uh, with, with Pete Carroll. Talk to us a little bit about his journey, I, I guess, pre-NFL. Um, yeah, I guess his journey in, into the game.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's been around for a while. I think when you're kind of looking at the two coaches, um, Pete Carroll definitely definitely has a great college coaching career. He was at USC. He was a graduate assistant for the first four years of career. So he's been around for a while. Um, but, But when you kind of look at his kind of pathway as a coach and you look at the teams that he coached and you look at the teams that Bill Belichick kind of coached, Pete Carroll was there first, and then Bill Belichick just kind of snuck in and was like, I'm not going to take over your spot. So I think it's kind of interesting when you look at his career, you go, well, did Pete Carroll pave the way for Bill Belichick to be who he is? Even though Bill Belichick's been in the league for a very long time. But (laughs) at the end of the day, what's interesting is that they've both been defensive coordinators. So I think when you look at their coaching career, they're both very defensive defensive heavy defensive mindset they've been defensive coordinators for a while so to be able to have kind of that record as a head coach I think is phenomenal for both coaches right because sometimes a defensive coordinator comes in a head coach and they struggle with the offensive side of the ball um but yeah to have kind of their history and everything I mean Bill, uh, Pete Carroll's been in the in the league for 16 years and Bill Belichick's been there for 27 so he's got a few more years on him but I didn't realize that Pete Carroll's actually a year older than Bill Belichick
3: yeah, no, he's certainly getting on. But, uh, you know, he's rocking that grey-white uh, uh, hairstyle. You know, he's he's looking, he's looking pretty fit for his age. Beck, um, let's talk about Pete because, obviously, technically, you know, he's obviously built quite a successful CV. But one of the things that I wanted to call out, and it's an important part of coaching, is his ability to manage personalities. I mean, one of the things that Seattle is known about is having very, uh, you know, let, let's say, I, I guess, quite uh, – extroverted uh, personalities, colourful personalities in the locker room. Talk to us about that side because Pete's ability to manage these personalities has sort of been a testament to his time there in Seattle.
1: Yeah, I think just um, with his experience as a coach coming from college and having to deal with such young personalities for such a long time and then coming through the system, like him himself probably is – Quite a large personality. I don't know if you see him on the sidelines and you see his reactions to things, like he himself is a big personality. So he probably gets it where these players are coming from and can relate to them. So I think having a good relationship and understanding between coach and player is what builds respect around them and around the team and around the game. And that's how he manages it all.
0: Yeah, I agree. What I thought was really interesting with kind of Pete Carroll's career was he had that great college career. And then he kind of came into the NFL and then he went back to college. Like I think there's a couple, there's there's this kind of like mentality that okay, once you've coached in the in the college leagues, you're now going to the NFL and, and that's it. Whereas Pete Carroll kind of went, nah, or USC offered him a very great, you know, paycheck and jobs. So he couldn't turn it down, which either or bounce it out doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, for him to kind of go from 90 to 93, he was defensive coordinator for New York Jets. 94, he's the New York Jets head coach. 95, 96, he goes, again, defensive coordinator for the Niners, And then 97 to 99, he's the head coach in New England. Now, after that, he takes a break and he goes back to college. And he's the head coach for USC from 2001, 2009. So I, it's, it's just an interesting kind of play for him to kind of be in the league and be with some substantial teams for the first couple years he was in, then kind of go to USC and have an impact there. Um, and then kind of come back and have a really big impact at, at, at Seattle.
1: Yeah, I think he's just the type of person that's going to do what he wants, regardless of whether it's the right thing or the path, the right, you know, the normal path to follow. He's the type of person that if it's right for him and that's what he wants to do, he's going to go and do it. And he's done that. So it's made him a better coach, I think, to be honest.
3: All right, Stacey, we've got to bring it up. Uh, someone was going to. Obviously, You don't have such an illustrious career in the NFL without a few things not necessarily going to plan. I jump in here because there is a little memory of Pete Carroll in a certain Super Bowl against a certain football team where there was a little bit of a controversial call that um, I guess will forever be on his legacy. I guess, yeah, you know, we're going to poke fun at it. But how do you come back from that? I mean, that that was an unbelievable moment in time. Talk us through that whole incident and, yeah, how he's been able to sort of recover from it.
2: Oh, I mean, as a Patriots fan, it was like one of the best Super Bowl experiences I've ever had. I'm so sorry, Beck. I'm so sorry. You know, you just you, we're doing the typical Super Bowl thing. You know, you're sitting outside, we're drinking. There's, you know, football's on the big screen and then it's coming down to that last
1: second and... It's to win the game.
2: Seahawks have got Marshawn Lynch and they're two yards out. Yeah, what yeah, you... Yeah, yeah. And then Wilson decides to throw it and it gets intercepted, you know, and the Patriots win. Um, I mean, man, that game was just – it was one of the better Super Bowls I've ever watched. I mean, most Patriots Super Bowls are pretty good. so. But, I mean, Pete Carroll's come back from that and to sort of – and I think it's exactly like what you said. Like, you know, he's, he's just that different kind of guy and he has so much respect for the players that they are. You know, he lets them be themselves. And that's the best thing that you can want out of a coach for sure.
3: Yeah, no, definitely, and I, and I think you know, if nothing else, he's definitely created a handbook for coaches. Where if you're trying to win a Super Bowl, yeah, probably best to hand it to an historic running back if you want to uh, if you want to get the job done there. All right, guys, well let's jump over and have a look at his competitor tonight, which is the great Bill Belichick. He, uh, you know, he's done a few things in this league as well. He's won a few titles. Alex, I'm going to throw it over to you because obviously we're a little bit biased as a, with a couple of uh, Patriots fans on the panel, but yeah, from the outside looking in, talk to us a little bit about Bill.
0: Is it the coach or is it the player? You know, I think that's always the interesting debate that comes down when you talk about Bill Belichick. Is is it Belichick or is it Brady? Was it Brady that made him look good? Was it Belichick that made Brady look good? And I think to some degree... It's both, right? To have the work ethic and the talent that that would that is, was, is Tom Brady still. Um, and, and that kind of knowledge and that background game. I mean, again, as we talked about with Pete Carroll, Bill Belchek, defensive coordinator, of a couple of clubs, he was a special teams coach. He was a linebackers coach. Um, he coached the Browns 91 to 95. So he's been in systems that weren't like particularly great you know but I and he's I think he's kind of learned from those systems and gone okay here's how not to do football and 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 here's a winning formula so I think to have a coach that's kind of had his hand in in different kind of organizations and different positions and, and he's worked with a lot of people you kind of get a knowledge of the whole game in that sense So I think having him as a head coach, that's what kind of makes him so good as a coach. And he's won six Super Bowls. Like, come on.
1: Yeah. Like, I want to, like, go back to how you said, is it the coach or is it the player? But I feel like the player is one person on the field and the coach coaches 22 players on the field. So it's an overall effort from the coach to create this team around this one player that are also as good as him and, you know, leads the team as well as he does. And it's not like, you, you know, there was a terrible defense at the Pats. Like they were pretty well known for their defense as well as Tom Brady. So I think Bill Belichick is definitely, you know, a coach coming from a defensive background and brought that into his, um, you know, into his teams and his schemes and his mantra as well.
0: And I think that talks about his legacy as, as a coach because we've mentioned on podcast before where we go, Mac Jones doesn't fit the New England and Belichick style. Not the New England style, but the New England and Belichick kind of system that he runs. So I think that is a testament to kind of any coach where your kind of philosophy and how you play football is what people relate players coming in and out of, right? So we, Cam Newton, not a Belichick type coach. Mac Jones, a Belichick type coach. And I think that is such a testament and an homage to his career, his legacy in the way that he coaches and the types of teams that he puts out there.
2: And I think um, you know, just going back to like you know who the interesting story about Pete Carroll and how he actually thought he was at the Jets and then Belichick came in. You know, they both came from the same coaching tree, right? And and we talk about coaching trees in football because that's essentially how you know the philosophies get passed down. You know, so this guy Monte Kiffin was a great uh, defensive uh, coach, and you know they both have the exact not the exact same, but they both have, like Alex said, the respect and the legacy of football by, you know, they honour that by a, having a consistent run game and they invest in their defensive front seven. That's that's the key to both of their philosophies from a, from a play perspective, you know. But, you know, Bill Belichick is undoubtedly one of the greatest coaches of the modern era. And if you look at his coaching three, you know, he's had Nick Saban come through, Jason Garrett, Bill O'Brien, Urban Meyer, Kinder, of, Mike Verbeek, Matt Patricia—like he's he's developed all of these coaches, and with all the obstacles that he's dealt with, I mean, he's had the he's he's been able to craft a game plan for everything, and that's that's what makes him a great coach.
3: Yeah, no, he's uh, he's certainly certainly a remarkable talent. He's a bit of a mastermind, you know. There wouldn't be too many things Bill Belichick hasn't seen, but I just wonder, you know, whether his uh, his coaching style uh, will have to slowly change because. You know, we've heard all the stories about how hard he is on his veterans and his younger players. You know, the younger generation, just a little bit different. So, you know, the way in which he goes about things, I just wonder whether that's going to work in the longer term there in New England. All right, guys, uh, here in the match, we cannot sit on the fence. We've got to pick our players. Stacey, pretty confident. I know where you're going with this. Tell me why Bill Belichick uh, takes the win here.
2: Uh, he's the greatest football mind to ever exist.
3: Uh, Thank you. Yeah, I love, i love, Yeah, I love it. Drop the uh, drop the mic. Look for me. Um, yeah, look, I I I just for for me, Bill Belichick, he's defensive schemes, um, and you know the way in which he's been able to, I, I guess, change his uh, change his approach based on the the players that are, that have flowed through New England. I, I think's been really really impressive. The, the question mark I have for Pete Carroll is that. You know, again, similar to the Brady Belichick thing, is was it that golden generation of defensive talent uh, there? Whereas with Bill Belichick, he's been able to, you know, he's been doing it for so long, he's been in, it, he's been able to interchange different players year in year out and always have an elite defense. So for me, just on the defensive side of the ball alone, I've got to give it to Bill. But again, heavily, heavily biased here. Alex, round us out. What's your thoughts here, uh, with, with Pete and Bill?
0: Um. Look. Like, I admire both of them as a coach myself and, and kind of the philosophies and the programs they have established. For me, I, I got to go with Pete Carroll because I think at, at the end of the day, to be able to bounce back from some adversity that he's had, you know, with certain play calls and, and, and losses that he's had, it, it takes a certain type of coach to kind of go, no, no, boys, trust me. I believe that you can win next season or I believe that you can win next year. Uh, and that's kind of the crazy thing is as, co- as a coach, you need to have that and trust that and be able to believe in that. Um, and I think Pete Carroll has that and he's able to kind of pass that on to, to his players. I also think he's more in tune to be able, in wanting to adapt as the game kind of evolves. Uh, I think Bill Belichick is very set in his ways, which is, which is obviously working for Bill Belichick, but I think with this new kind of wave of younger talent coming through, I think Pete Carroll has more of a a, a better kind of adaptability to adapt to the coaching style as it moves through the generations.
3: Well, Alex, I know one person that will definitely agree with you there and that's our friend Beck, who, uh, you know, obviously is a massive um, Seattle Seahawks fan, but um, uh, Beck, yeah, finish, finish this off for us. You know, I I guess tell us why Pete Carroll gets the win here.
1: I mean, I feel like, Barker said at all. Like he's just this great coach that comes in and believes in all of the players that he has, regardless if they are high paid players, low paid players, like wherever they are on the depth chart, on the start, you know, on the team, he believes in them and what they are creating at the Seattle Seahawks team. He, um, he just, he sparks you up. Like you just look at him and you want to play for him and you want to do your best for him. And I think all of the players on the team um, want to do that. And he makes them want to do that as a coach.
3: All right, guys, let's jump into our final segment for tonight, Rapid Fire. And We're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. I apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Oh, okay.
0: show.
1: oh, my boss is saying closing time. Maybe that's what you need.
3: Yeah, and this week on Rapid Fire, we've got a bit of an interesting question for the panel. Which coach from any era would you want to come back and coach in the NFL? Stacey, going to start with you.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little bit left of centre here, um, you know, and this is, this is actually really special to me because, um, you know, coaching for me is, is something very, very, um, something I hold really dear to my heart. So we spoke about coaching trees and my pick for this one um, is a Duco College coach uh, from the 80s. His name was Forrest Frosty Westering. He was actually inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame um, and he coached for 40 years during that whole time, he won, you know, 305 games. He's ranked ninth um, in terms of NIA coaching records. Uh, it's an all-time victory. And, I, and you know, I've, I've spoken about this, but the reason why he's so special is his coaching tree has ended up having passed down through generations of football in Australia. So he was the man that inspired my favourite coach, Wolfie. Um, and it's the philosophy of a culture of love and joy in, in like the purest respects of the words, right? So... Yes, he was a great coach in terms of his fundamentals, uh, you know, most wins of all time, um, but winning was only ever a byproduct of the culture that he was creating. So, you know, things like being a servant warrior and play with love and joy and, and make the big time where you are, you know, kind of like just be a moment because it's a fleeting kind of moment is, is just something that we've, you know, we've grown up with during our time of football and it's something that I hope to pass down to, you know, anyone who I ever coach. So that's that's my pick.
3: Yeah, nice. Look for me, uh, I, I'd have to go with uh, with Nick Saban. Uh, I think I've spoken about my uh, my bit of a fandom for the Alabama uh, football team. But if we take it back, uh, Nick had his shot in the NFL, and I, I guess how things could have been different in the NFL if you know Drew Brees had have had his clearance with his injury, obviously um, you know wasn't passed by the Miami medical team, uh, and then from there you know everything happened from there. Obviously, Nick. Um, you know, obviously didn't last in the NFL, and has, and has stepped out into the college game, we know what's happened. And I'd like to say that, that I'd love for him to join the NFL because of his tactical brilliance and all, all all of his experience. But for me, it's his press conferences. I could watch Nick Saban pre- press conferences back to back, and I quite often do on YouTube. That guy, he is, uh, yeah, he's well, you wouldn't say he's funny, but um, just the way in which he interacts with the media, it's uh, it's a bit of a giggle. Um, Alex, who's your choice here? Um, any coach to come back and uh, yeah, join the NFL?
0: For me, it's got to be the golden age of the Chicago Bears. The coach, Mike Ditka. I mean, first off, he's just like, he just embodies this kind of awesome human being. I mean, his look in the, like, 80s was just like that nostalgic look with the mustache, with the, you know, with the vest, with the Bears. So, it just it, he just has a reputation alone without even his coaching going into it or having to play into it. So... I mean, he was 12 and six as far as playoffs go for the Bears. Super Bowl 85 winner. That 85 team were 15 and one under him. And I think he just, out of all his seasons at the Bears, when he was there, he was seven and 11. He had seven out of 11 seasons where he was a winning season. His first one was like three and 11, and then he bounced back and went eight and eight. And then it was just like 15 and one, 14 and two. Like the Bears were consistent under him, and they were just a solid, solid football team franchise. Like, I mean, the bears at that point were just, it was a golden era of the bears. And I would just love to bring him back just to see what, what kind of coach he would be to the players now, because I think to some degree, he just, he's that old school coach where it's like, y'all need to toughen up. Like I would have loved to have been uh, like an assistant coach under him because I feel like he embodies kind of like that tough love kind of old school coaching that, I kind of base my coaching off a little bit, where it's like you know, at the end of the day, it's it's fundamentals, it's defense, it's the right way to right way to do things. No fuss, no drama, no prima donnas, no egos with it. And I think that was kind of the epitome of the Bears for a long time. So I, I would love to have to coach back and see Mike Dicker on the sidelines in that in that. Bit his
3: best again yeah and, and i think you know part of greatness is could you tell the nfl story without you know uh you know talking about some of these historic uh players and coaches and uh, you certainly couldn't uh he's uh he's an historical uh man and you know, done amazing things uh beck let's round us out who would be your selection
1: yeah i mean i almost thought we were going to get it through an entire episode without barker referencing something from the bears but she snuck yeah. it in there right at yeah. the end. Um, this week I'm going with John Madden. Like I actually watched his A Football Life documentary the other day. It just kind of popped up and I was watching it and I was just in awe of how much he wanted um, to be the best. Like he talked about it when he was in high school and playing football and then he had this injury And he didn't get to play. So instead he went through the coaching pathways and ended up being the head coach of the Raiders and led them to a Super Bowl championship. But along the way, his um, philosophy was to just play hard, be yourself and play hard. And all of the players around him, I think, respected that and um, did come out and play hard for him while also being able to be themselves and not be restricted within to certain schemes or expectations, you know, about showing up on time. And, I mean, sorry, no, that was one of the rules that he wanted was to show up on time. But, like, dressing the part, like wearing a suit and being that formal football player, they got to be themselves um, while playing under him. So, yeah, I would love to see him come back. I mean, I think he still is involved in football today a little bit somewhere behind the scenes so he definitely has a love and a passion for football and the people involved and the game itself so it'd be cool to see him come back and um, what he would do within the league nowadays with the players that we have.
3: All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have tonight. Just want to thank my amazing panel, always bringing the heat as we talk all things NFL. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you did, please download the podcast, share with family and friends, and you can find us on all social media platforms. Until next week, we'll see you then.